With our Bibles open to 1 John chapter 5, I want to read the first five verses of this chapter. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Whoso believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous or burdensome. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? The title of the message today, Faith is the Victory. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise and press the battle, ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. When this scripture says, faith is the victory, or who is it that overcomes the world, or what is it that overcomes the world, even our faith, what is the Holy Spirit saying through the Apostle John when he says that? What is this faith? I want to give you about three or four thoughts about faith. Number one, the faith that is spoken of here is not just a nondescript noun that just says faith about anything. In context, he's saying, this faith is the belief and confidence that Jesus is the unique Son of God. That Jesus is the unique Son of God. When it says faith is the victory, it says the person who has victory is the one who has confidence that the Jesus who was born in Bethlehem's manger, who died on an old rugged cross, was raised from the dead, is the unique Son of God that is God incarnate in human flesh. Number two, it is the belief in the incarnation that in Jesus Christ, God entered the world and took upon himself human life so that he so thoroughly identified with us that God became flesh and dwelt in Jesus. And the victory that overcomes the world is our faith that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, that is God coming to dwell in human flesh in Jesus, therefore able to identify with us. Thirdly, it is the belief that if God took upon himself a human body, that he understands all that we go through. He understands all the trials and the temptations, all the joys, all the thrills, all the sorrows, all the brokenness. If you've been joyful, Jesus understood that. It is illustrated in John chapter 2 when Jesus attended the wedding at Feast of Galilee, at Cana of Galilee. If you've been in sorrow and your heart's been broken, Jesus understands it. No one understands like Jesus. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. He knows all about it. And this faith that overcomes the world, the faith that is the victory, is the faith in Jesus Christ that knows that he is the incarnate Son of God that identified with man, that he became flesh, and he understands our weaknesses. 
our trials, our joys, our temptations, our sorrows. If you're going through sorrow this morning, Jesus identifies with you in that. He was with Mary and Martha in the death of their brother Lazarus. They were brokenhearted and John records in John 3, John 11, 35, Jesus wept. He weeps with those who weep. But Jesus didn't just stand there and weep. He gave us hope beyond that. He said, roll back the stone. He called with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had been dead four days came out of that grave. What did that teach us? It teaches that Jesus is Lord of life and of death. And that one day, all that hear the voice of the Son of God will come out of their graves. And when we've gone to a grave and we've lowered our loved one's body into that grave, we don't leave there hopeless, thinking, well, that's just going to be the end of that. We leave there looking forward to something better. That He has kept every promise He ever made. And that promise includes the resurrection of the dead in Christ. This faith, therefore, does some things. Number one, it gives us a defense to resist the infections of the world. We have a fascination for the things of the world. There's so many things of the world that are infectious, they're contagious. They get inside of us and they eat away the very best we have and are. First of all, the world hates God. The world system does not love God. We're living in a world where that world system is more and more pronounced and day by day we're seeing it. There's a national bias in America against Christian faith. Our world system hates God. The world is materialistic. The world says your faith is a private matter. You keep it to yourself. Someone told of an editorial they read in a paper where the editor is saying, I'm sick and tired of these Christians going into restaurants and praying before their meals. If they want to pray, let them do it at home privately. It's not anybody else's business. Now that's the way the world looks at it. The world wants you to hide your faith. If you have any, hide it. You don't have to display it before others. The world has no time to make God first, to put Him first. I talked to a girl this week here in Warren County that told me that she had her Bible at school. <clears throat> and the principal has told them that if, they, if their Bible is shown openly, that they will be subject to a three-day suspense from school. Hide your faith. The world says that. But this faith in Jesus Christ gave Savonarola the courage to stand even when they carried him out of the city and burned him at the stake. It gave John Huss that same confidence to openly declare the Word of God and to translate it. And Wycliffe and the others who have been willing to die for their faith. This same faith gives us the strength to endure and, and to deal with the attacks the world makes 
on our spiritual life. What are the attacks of the world? The human situation is full of things which seek to take our faith away, the sorrows of life, things that are beyond our understanding, the disappointments of life, the things which rob us of our dreams, the constant failures of life. They uh, make us feel that it's useless to try, and we will feel like abandoning the struggle. Faith gives us the truth and the hope of final victory. Final victory is coming. It's just about here. The world did its worst to Jesus. Listen, the world hated him. The world hounded him. The world slandered him. The world branded him as a heretic and a friend of sinners and a sinner himself. The world judged him. The world tried him. The world crucified him. The world buried him. But the world lost. Three days later, he was raised from the dead and he's alive today. That's what our faith says. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And yet we try to live beneath our privileges. As believers, the passage Brother Ronnie read a little while ago could be a passage about modern day America. In Malachi, the last of the prophets of the Old Testament, after the, the captivity period, after the Jews had come back to their land, the temple had been rebuilt. Their houses were be, being rebuilt. They were settled down. It was a time of prosperity and they forgot God. They were leaving God out. And listen, in the darkest hour, God raises somebody to wave a flag and say, it's a dark hour. It's time for our faith to be renewed and revived. And that's what God did with Malachi. That's got what God did with Charles Finney and Jonathan Edwards and D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday. That's what God has done through the ages in a dark hour. The Lord has raised up somebody here and somebody here, a congregation here that would dare to say we have the faith that overcomes the world and that's the victory. Now listen to Malachi. He was issuing a warning. Turn over your, in your Bible to Malachi for a moment in chapter three, Malachi the third chapter. Listen to this. He was issuing a warning. He said, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. He is coming, and when he comes, he will require an offering in righteousness. He will purify the sons of Levi, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And his, com his coming will be a witness against the unrepentant sins of our world. Look in chapter, verses 5 and 6. And I will come near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerer, against the adulterer, against the false witness against false swearers, against those who oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and turn aside the sojourner from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And then he brought an indictment in verses seven to nine. He said, even from the days of your father, you're gone away. Now, now God is not leaving anything to chance. He's saying through Malachi to this nation, and I believe to our nation today, there's an indictment against you. From the times of your fathers, you've gone away from mine ordinances. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? And then Malachi puts his finger on a very sensitive area. And it's only a symbol of our going away. You know what, what he puts his finger on? Listen, 
See if you can guess. Look in the next verse. You've got it. He puts his finger on this. Now those who are listening by radio can't see it, so I'll tell you what it is. Malachi puts his finger on your wallet. He says, will a man rob God? And they say, well, have we robbed God? We haven't robbed God. What do you mean, have we robbed God? And Malachi answered the question by saying, you have robbed me, even this whole nation. You have robbed me in tithes and offerings. Now that's only a symbol of the sin of materialism. You say, but wait a minute, I'm not materialistic. You've got me wrong. I'm spiritual. Malachi says, now wait a minute. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Tithing is a love factor. Tithing is a faith factor. And when you love me and you have faith in me, you won't have a hard time tithing. It'll be all right. Because when you make your priority list out, I'll be at the top of the list. Now, beloved, when we make our priority list out for Christmas, I don't know how your list looks. You put this and this and this and this and this and this. Christmas is a wonderful time for giving. Sometimes our priority lists in life look like our Christmas lists. We remember our wife or our husband or our children, our mother, our daddy, our sisters, our brothers, somebody who's been kind to us this year, to us this year, somebody who's been very, very nice, a next door neighbor, some dear friend in a distant city. We put all those on the priority list. And that's good. But we left somebody out. We left out the one who has the power to give us a job. We left out the one who has the strength to give us strength. We left out the one who has the ability to shut the heavens that there be no rain. Or to open the heavens there will be too much rain. We left him out. And in the days of the prophets, many, many times those prophets would herald that message. And in this particular passage he's saying, you have robbed me. And they said, how have we robbed thee? You've robbed me in your tithes and offerings. Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, if there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now listen, in order to obey that injunction, you have to believe that person. You have to believe him. If you don't believe, nothing will be accomplished. Now, I want to illustrate that. I want to give somebody a dollar bill. But I'm not going to give it to you right now. But the first person that comes up here and believes me that I'll give it to him after church today, you just come right now. All right, here's a lady. You don't have to come any further. After church, you go and sit down. She got the dollar bill. All of you could have gotten it. You didn't believe. It's too late, see? Now listen, God says, I will take care of you. Do you believe me? 
How many of you believe God? You say, well, he's not taking care of me right now. He says, I will. That's where faith comes in. That's exactly where faith comes in. If you will believe God, God says what he'll do. Do we believe him? Or do we say, no, God, you don't understand. I've got this bill and this bill and this bill, and I've got to take care of this house payment and this car payment, and I've got to do this and this and this. I've got so many things to do. Lord, there's no way I could, I get $100, I couldn't give you 10. I get $1,000, I couldn't give you 100. So God says, all right, you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And look what he says about it. He says, you are cursed with a curse, even this whole nation. You say it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept His ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the proud happy, yea, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, they that test God are even delivered. Now notice what he says, if you will do what I ask you to do, look in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I will not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither will your vine cast its fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Now let's, let's, uh, let's focus in for just a moment on the church and on individual lives. A church that loves, really loves God, and loves the work of God, and loves the Lord's work. And that is evidenced by our faithfulness in giving His tithes and our offerings. Do you know what would happen? Someone has estimated that the tithe of the Glendale Baptist Church would be nearly $10,000 a week. Now, you know what would happen if all of us tithed? We wouldn't have to have any special offerings. We could pay for that land out of our tithes. And this church could do what it needs to do. Our finance committee is considering recommending cutting some of the radio broadcasts. Why? Not because we don't need them, but because some of us have not been faithful with God's tithe. They might recommend other things. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Let me tie this back in with an individual. This scripture verse is given nationally. He says, I'll bless your nation. Our nation is not being blessed presently. All the nations of the world hate America. Today, one of, the, one, of the, one of our plebiscites, you might say, is having, a, having a, a vote on whether to become a state, and there's a strong opposition to it because they don't like America. All around the world where our men go, they say, Yankees, go home. Now, wait a minute, it was the blood, sweat, and tears of, of Yankees and Americans that won World War II and preserved liberty. Why, do, why are we so hated? Because in 1962 and 63 and 64, our Supreme Court said, kick God out of the schools. 
And they thought that was just some little minor thing, but it's become so major that this little girl told me this week she can't even have her Bible at school openly. I don't know whether that's true in all the schools or not. We as a nation are not being blessed by God because we have thumped our nose at God. You don't do that and get by with it. But wait a minute, who is the nation? Hold everything. Some of you won't like this. The nation is composed of individuals. And individuals have one of the most prized possessions in this whole world. What is that prized possession? The ability to go to the polls and vote like a Christian. And some of you have put into office men that have no moral position at all that is biblical. And we get what we deserve. You cannot think that God will bless us economically if we don't bless the Lord morally and spiritually. It doesn't work that way. And we can't expect God to bless if individually we don't do what He says concerning the tithe. Because the tithe is connected with our spiritual life. You have robbed me, even this whole nation, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings, Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. I want to challenge us today to say, Lord, I'm going to, I want a personal revival in my life. And I wanted to start by a commitment in my own life to faith. Now remember, faith is the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is such confidence that Jesus is God's unique son, of God, son, and he was God incarnate in human flesh, and he's so thoroughly identified with us, he knows what we need. He knows what our needs are. He knows what our feelings are. He knows what our sins are. He knows what our temptations are. He knows what our victories are. He knows what our brokenness is. And I say, Lord, I trust you, not only to take me across the great divide into heaven, but I, I trust you to live day by day by day. I want to trust you with my paycheck. I want to trust you with my life. I want to trust you with my health. I have a friend. A number of years ago, he died. He had a son who had a little heart trouble. And that son said, I, I tell you, I've got a heart trouble. I can't go to my dad's funeral. He didn't go to his dad's funeral. He's still living. You see, he didn't have enough faith to say, well, if he, even if it kills me, I'm going to go because that's where I ought to be. There are some things in life we ought to do whether we feel like it or don't feel like it. I believe God's people called by his name ought to come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Three to thrive. I know there's some people that have work jobs that keep them from doing that. I understand that. I'm talking about if, you, if that's not the problem. By the same token, by faith, we need to say, Lord, I'm going to seal my token of love to you where it affects me the most. That's with my pocketbook. I'm going to give you the tithe. If I make a dollar a week, dime of it belongs to God. If I make $20 a week, two of it belongs to God. I'm going to do it. If I make $1,000, 10 of it belongs to God. I'm going to do what God says to do. Now, Let's bow together in prayer. With our hearts humbled before God, 
Would you right where you sit as a Christian, as a believer, say, Lord, I don't want the curse of God on me or my church or my family or on my nation. I want to do what God tells me to do in His Word. I want to give that symbol of my love to you. I want to give you my tithe. Then, if you're here today and you're not saved, you've never been saved, I want to tell you, giving the tithe isn't going to help you get saved. Now, I believe everybody ought to tithe. But going to church and giving our tithes doesn't save us. It's only opening our heart and by faith receiving Christ and just trusting Him. That's what saves. And today you can give your heart to Jesus and trust Him as your Savior. If you'll do that, He'll forgive and cleanse and save and heal right now. Our Father, we pray that just now someone somewhere would open his heart to Jesus and trust you as Savior and Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.